the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Bear Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Sun, 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 here we go. 
darling I feel the ice is slowly melting Little darling It seemed like years since it's been clear Here comes the sun Welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is uh, a little different topic uh, for the Tom Sumner program. Um, we're going to talk with an author. Uh, the book is called Invoking the Authentic Self that does talk about the upside of uh, his experience with uh, what we commonly call a cult. And and we'll find out what that all means with my guest Tim Mansfield, who calls me from, who is calling me rather from London, and is on the phone. Uh, good morning, Tim. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me, Tom. Thanks I, I very much. I don't know if I if I set that up quite right, but um, but you do kind of talk about the accomplishments and the achievements of the. Uh, uh, U.S. Spiritual Community Enlightened Next, of which you were a member for 19 years. And then the organization I imploded. And one of the things that we don't hear about, which you address in your book, is when an organization like that is, uh, you know, just uh, thriving and, and surviving, um, you know, everything is fine. And then if it goes under for some reason, what happens to the followers? Well, good question. And um, I think uh, there's a big question hanging over why the organization imploded, because the established narrative has become that it was a cult and the leader, the teacher, spiritual teacher, Andrew Cohen, was corrupt. But that narrative came into existence after the organization imploded. And really, if you track the step-by-step -step progress of the dissolution... Tim, let me, let me, over, let me back up just, just for a minute, yeah. and just for context. Um, you know, the, the word cult has negative connotations yes. to it. Do you think of that organization as a cult? Is there a different definition of cult that we should open our minds to? Well, I think the word is loosely used myself, and, and I think in its general usage, it has negative connotations, like you say. And then there are definitions of cults, and there are sort of ten, I think there are ten sort of primary characteristics of a cult, uh, which the organization uh, in Life Next does conform to quite a few of. But given that... <laughs> the word has such negative connotations as it is a kind of a, a motley crew of people on some weird kind of um, mission. 
it doesn't accord in any way with my experience of the high caliber of the individuals involved and the sophistication of the um, process and ideas that we were engaged with. So I, I don't, in my book, use the word cult. Yeah, we we as, uh, associate cult with a messianic leader of some kind. Yes. Well, that's that's correct. I mean, Andrew Cohen um, was a very authoritative, typical guru, you could say, a typical um, spiritual teacher in a Western context. So we acknowledged, as you know, we being him and, and his students, acknowledged that this was an incongruous setup, but it fitted our purposes. So we accepted the, the kind of incongruity of it, um, knowing it was unusual for Western educated people to be in, in that kind of relationship. But, it, but we understood why we were in it, and we understood the, the history of it. Um, so it didn't seem to us and then you you um, mm. sort of hinted that he was um, the the leader of this group um, Andrew Cohen was yes. thought to be corrupt and and many organizations like this one that are deemed to be cults um, mm -hmm. fall because of the corruption of this messianic leader. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you say that that narrative came after the fall. Exactly. And, and didn't precipitate exactly. the and, fall. And, how did, how did you, this you, organization collapse versus the way we see others collapse? Um, it collapsed, uh, well, first of all, suddenly. And I think he could say it didn't collapse on either financial um, grounds or sexual grounds. So of the three big sort of human challenges, power, sex, and money, sex and money, I would say, were clean. And I think most, most other students would agree with me. The, the power issue was the one on which it collapsed. And, and really, in, in just putting it very simply... Um, five of Andrew Cohen's top students, essentially they wanted to fly the nest. They wanted to get out of the organization. They wanted to spread their wings. They wanted to express their own spiritual attainment. But they couldn't do that in the structure that we had. And really, the, the dissolution of the organization, it hinged on a very small um, action by these five men who just requested of their teacher a meeting to talk about what they felt was now an inappropriate level of authority that he held. That meeting never happened, <laughs> it, but, but the action of asking for it sort of precipitated this, this, this sort of unfolding or this avalanche of, of um, dissolution. And that, that is really all you can pin the, the dissolution back to, is their request to speak with him about the level of authority that he held, which had not changed for, you know, 27 years at that point. Was there any kind mm. of investigation before, during, or after the dissolution? Not really. There were requests. From what I've heard, there were, there were sort of requests. There were grumblings. Um, there were... 
you know, if you look back retrospectively, you can you can see there was discontent in the ranks, but nothing sort of big enough to bring down an organisation that had tremendous integrity, really, and um, enormous commitment from its uh, students and immense intelligence in terms of its output of books and the magazine that's famous for, um, and, and the, just the quality of the of, of how students could speak about the teachings and their own experience. You were a member of uh, Enlightened Next for mm -hmm. 19 years. What was expected yes. of you as a member? What was expected was to, well, the phrase used was to live the teachings. So that essentially means holding a view upon one's experience, so upon one's thoughts, thoughts and feelings. So not, so not reacting to the activity of one's mind, but holding an interpretive relationship to experience. So there's essentially adopting the position of an enlightened person, which is to have some distance and some questioning of what's going on in your mind, how you feel and what you think. So it's kind of locating oneself in awareness and perception rather than being, being sort of... Uh, being embroiled helplessly in one's thoughts and in one's feelings. So that, that was primarily what was expected of us. Could you, could you follow Andrew Cohen and maintain your everyday life? Or like other cult-type organizations, was there a compound or a commune where, where people lived <laughs> together? There was a whole range of there's a very strong, a very kind of clear hierarchy with perhaps six divisions in it, and one of those divisions would be people who lived in the world, pursued their own careers, raised their own families, were interested in Andrew's work, came to retreats maybe, or were participating in online meetings and conversations with him, and, and it's sort of typical what would generally be called a lay student community. That was one option that was very much available, approved of, facilitated. And then, then you can go all the way up to the other end where he had his closest senior students um, of, from whom a lot more was expected. And where were you on that uh, continuum? <laughs> so, so I was, you know, if you think of us as Wimbledon tennis players, I was, I was, I would be seated at number twenty-five. <laughs> so, I was, I was not a teaching student. Um, I was just below the level of students who went out and taught to the public or um, were given positions of responsibility on on a, on the ten-day retreats, lengthy retreats, or students who, who led their own retreats or did little um, tours around um, Australia, for example, teaching trips, things like that. So I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a teaching student, but I was kind of nudging that um, bracket, if you like. More about Enlightened Next and Spiritual Enlightenment with author Tim Mansfield. Hello, darling. Right this on. is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. 
All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More about Enlightened Next and spiritual enlightenment with author Tim Mansfield straight ahead. What what did the um, the teaching <clears throat> trips look like? I, I mean, how... 
where people gathered and and taught about this uh, um, spirituality. So a, te a teaching trip, say Andrew did a European teaching trip, and there'd be there were centres, what we called a centre, which would be a group of people with usually a rented or sometimes an owned building that would have administrative, it had a meditation hall and it would have some administrative offices. And there might be 20, 30 people living kind of committedly around that center, um, going to meditate in the meditation hall each day, each day and at the week, spending most of the weekends at that center, kind of working for the organization. And um, so a teaching trip that Andrew would do, he would go maybe to six cities in Europe and at each city, the centre there would have gathered together some members of the public and people who belong to the organisation loosely, and that would form a teaching, um, an evening teaching, maybe two evening teachings of somewhere in the region of 100, 150 people in a rented um, auditorium of some sort. But how was the, the mm. public um, invited to to attend or participate how did how did that work because it sounds a little bit like preaching to the choir how do people join mm -hmm. the choir oh, well andrew's magazine was very well known and the Cirque, so the the readership of the magazine i think drew drew in new people as it were uh, then you'd have friends friends of friends and friends of family friends of students I mean, it's a little bit what what you're describing, preaching to preaching to people who already knew the teachings, who are already kind of committed to Andrew as their teacher. That's true. But then you'd probably have about one third of the audience would be newcomers who'd just heard of Andrew, read or, or who'd read many of his books, um, or who were uh, subscribers to the magazine, for example. Were Andrew's teachings? Um uh, of his own contrivance or based on the works of, of others who had gone before him? Well, as we understood them, they were his own contrivance. You know, they're based upon classic Advaita teachings, Enlightenment teachings. But then Andrew, in his teaching career, as he described it as a career, he came to see... He came to essentially, if you put it in a very sort of tight nutshell, you'd see, you'd say that God was equivalent to evolution. So his his definition of God was the force of love and evolution. That the nature of existence is forward moving. That it's you know, and the, that as human beings we experience that as the desire for improvement. So so. That's why his teachings are called evolutionary, you know, evolutionary enlightenment. So it's this, this disassociation from experience, and then realizing that um, life is on the move, and oneself as a human being is, you know, we're on the move. We're developing. We're moving forward. We're seeking to express ourselves. We're seeking to be ourselves. We're, see we're seeking authenticity, authentic, authentic participation in life. And that was synonymous. That that authenticity was synonymous with evolution. This, this sort of explosive, forward-moving, expanding um, entity of existence, or facet, facet, or, or quality of existence. And was that in itself the the goal? 
that in itself is the goal of the teachings. And then as a community, we had a separate mission, which was um, to form these enlightened groups. So it's kind of a group of people who were disciplined enough to maintain an enlightened relationship to experience for an hour and a half or a two-hour meeting. And so we, we, were, we were developing this, this faculty, which, if, if one put it in a nutshell, you, say, you could say we were seeking to reliably receive what in Christian terms would be called the Holy Spirit, a force that kind of entered that, that um, forum. And this, this, was our, this was our business, this was our work for between 1988 and 2001 and thereafter a little while. But, but that, as, a, as a community, we were seeking to create this group faculty, this receptive quality. But Andrew's teachings, if you picked up the book and read them, would, would be more about delivering this connection between evolution and spirit and God. I mean, this is, you know, I'm, I'm kind of simplifying this. Andrew's, Andrew's descriptions are sort of much, in a way, more subtle than mine, than mine here. What, what did the collapse of Enlightened Next look like, and what happened to Andrew and his followers? Uh, it looked uh, ugly and uh, messy and chaotic and painful, is how it looked. I mean, it, the students kind of scattered... The, the students who'd left in previous years sort of returned en masse in rather an angry sort of social media-based group who essentially picked up on all, all the flaws in the, uh, in the community and magnified them into the, what is currently the negative narrative. The senior students kind of went off and did their own thing, albeit somewhat sort of incognito, not really declaring their their heritage with Andrew, and Andrew went off, Andrew kind of, his, his, basically his internal experience, his world collapsed, and that included his enlightened uh, condition, and he went off to India for a year and a half and had a terrible, terribly painful period of sort of reflection and, um, contemplation and, and kind of and just I think he I mean I I know because I, I went out to meet him in India sort of halfway through his his period out there and uh, he was a he was a devastated man he was a broken man he was he he didn't know what was up and what was down really at that point and what about the, well you said the people that followed him just kind of scattered um did that leave you and others to pursue your your own uh, I'm not sure exactly how to put this Tim but but agenda of self enlightenment um, yes goal of well, exactly. better that, self yeah exactly and I think that's one way you could understand the dissolution was that it threw it threw everybody out of the nest you know we've been in this tight knit uh, you know incubator a self self described incubator working on our mission and the dissolution just threw everybody out of that. The, you know, we lost all the buildings. We lost the kind of cohesion. We we lost our own narrative, our own sort of um, prized ability to interpret experience, to hold hold experience, to sort of 
share a common outlook, that all fell apart and everyone was just thrown out into into secular society or onto their, onto their own initiative, if you like. Usually and, when and a group like this uh, falls or, or collapses, um, you know, property and buildings and, and mm-hmm. organizational assets are seized by the government because of some charges mm-hmm. against the leader or or whatever what happened in this case did stuff just go on the auction block and and <laughs> it was you know um, dissolved <clears throat> that way well what happened was um so the, the organization in america owned um an estate um in massachusetts that was called fox hollow that was originally one of the Berkshire cottages, so-called, the sort of industri- the, 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 the summer homes of the industrialists, the 1920s American industrialists. So this property took some time to sell, but I think it took maybe two years to sell. But once it was sold, the proceeds were given to Harvard Divinity School. And I think the decision to do that was made by the board of Enlightened Next that hung together long enough to make that decision. And then in the, in the other, in London, for example, we also had a, a valuable building that was also sold. And then a grant-giving um, body was formed to give that money to sort of to worthy causes, essentially. Well, and that's under the, in, in the U.S., it's uh, the Internal Revenue Code uh, 501c3 requires upon dissolution that any money or assets mm-hmm. be contributed to other 501c3 type organizations. Right. There's 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 a formula for that, and so it 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 self dissolved. Yes, I, I mean I think as far as I know, well, I certainly know about London, but as far as I know in America, um, it was responsibly dealt with that the people who were responsible for it didn't just quit they um, managed fox hollow while it was still owned and then complied with the um, requirements you just outlined now, that that's my understanding now the book is that, go ahead no i was just going to say um actually i can't remember what i was going to say <laughs> to be honest well, I was going to say the book is called Invoking the Authentic Self by Tim Mansfield. Tim, um, this book, is it is it a memoir? Is it a manual? Is it, <laughs> you know, how, how would you describe the book and what are you hoping readers will get out of it? Um, I, I hope it's a bit of a testament. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, you know, the, the actual story placed for, as a record in history of what it was like to be part of this community, uh, doing what we were doing, um, the personal experience of sort of being in the company of a, of a powerful guru, spiritual teacher, and the sort of day-to-day trials and tribulations of that experience and the joys and um, beauty of it. And so I'm hoping, I want it to be a record um, that stands in history of what it was like. And I'm hoping in the way that I've written it that it has that quality of trustworthiness, that people would read it, 
and feel yes, this is a trustworthy account. I can I feel the author has written, um, you know, a balanced, authentic account. Um, so that's that answers the first part of your question. Um, what was the second part of it? it was what um, What are you hoping readers will take away from? Yeah, you? well, I I, I I hope readers will get a sense of what enlightenment is. I, I, that's what I really hope that this elevation of um, or this sort of this um, shift of identity from the activity of the mind, from you know, what I think and how I feel, should the shift of importance from that that field of, of one's of one's of one's being to the faculty or the quality of perception of, of awareness of perception of interest of curiosity that the thread what you could call the thread or the current of god god within each of us and i would i would like uh, people to get a sense of this distinction and in a way the strength of the um, passage between these two identities of kind of how powerful the human mind is, how powerful self-importance is that kind of keeps us glued to what we think and how we feel and our own, the activity of our own mind. And some sort of idea of, yes, you know, this other field, this other, what Jesus called the kingdom of God, is a real thing. It is a real possibility. And there is this journey between these two paradigms that um, is, well, first of all, it's possible and sort of almost ultimately challenging. Usually when a group like this uh, collapses for whatever reason, um, there's dispersion uh, placed on the teachings of the of the guru, mm. in this case, uh, Andrew Cohen. And you suggest that that really shouldn't be the case, that this was more of a, a failure in leadership or or some kind of a power struggle gone awry, um, but didn't reflect on the teachings themselves. Exactly. I, I just, partly because it's my own experience, I feel Andrew's teachings, they work very well for northern for basically for Protestant people, for Northern European sort of Teutonic-based people. I think um, essentially in the way I understand his teachings, you, you're using the mind to sort of see through the mind. You, you, so so uh, the, the, the spiritual journey is demystified and placed in your own hands. So you're, you're able to, with the help of his teachings, you know, understand and interpret your own experience, and also the strength of your own experience. That's a big part of it, is understanding how powerful the mind is. And so... how In, I, in this setting, Tim, how was your um, spiritual enlightenment um, aided in a way that it couldn't be in a successful community church? Uh, I just, I, I honestly think it's this immutable, this immutable quality of the guru. You know, it doesn't have to be Andrew Cohen, could be any other guru, but somehow, in some shape or form, I feel uh, one has to bump up against this immutable, the God's sort of immutable nature. 
that it's unbending, that it it doesn't, you know, that one has to submit to to that facet of God. And and a priest or or a minister doesn't uh, um, wield that same. uh, In my experience, no, no. I (laughs) I would just say no. I mean, clearly there are sort of let's say the soft softer sort of gurus, and then there are sort of more hardcore priests and vicars and ministers. So, I, 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 you know, I'm not saying it's, 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 it's all, all gurus are immutable and all priests aren't, but broadly speaking, I would say that religion is a softer um, business, if you like, than, than, than a direct, having a direct relationship with a spiritual teacher of historic caliber. Now the power that, that, that's what I would say the power mm. that Andrew Cohen had over his followers was that something he sought or that was conferred upon him by those followers I think both but both just in the mechanism of it I see it as symbiotic I see the you know in a way the students unwittingly are wanting to bump up against uh, that they want to hit upon this, this authoritative quality of god and they sort of they find it they seek it and they seek it and also create it i i feel in the in the in the teacher and then the teacher's role is to be that figure so in a way the teacher is also um adopting you know adopting either either consciously or unconsciously or or um historically um because 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 the because it's a function. I think that the spiritual teacher is performing a function. That's a very important thing. It's not a personal choice so much as the function of being, you know, God's representative on two legs, if you like. Now, this is an oversimplification, Tim, but we only have so much time. Um, is is the moral of this story, don't shoot the messenger? <laughs> um. Do you know what I mean by that, by making that comparison, that that although Andrew may have, have failed and the organization may have collapsed, you seem to think that the, mm. the message should survive? Well, definitely, I think, because when you go to church, regular Christian church in England, one of the things you, you pray for is to open our hearts and minds. It says, open our hearts and minds. But I... I my own feeling is that the the fact that the organisation dissolved, um, there's a it's an assumption to think that that was a negative event, and, and partly the reason I think that is because if you look if you look at the 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 central event of Western spiritual history, so that would be in my mind the crucifixion of Jesus. That then you ask you ask oneself is 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 that a negative event? Now, I would say no. I would say that elevated civilization. But I, I guess time, maybe I should I should amend my statement and say shoot the messenger, but don't shoot the message. Yes, <laughs> I'm not, and I'm not I'm, I'm like not that, advocating that people go out and shoot gurus, but no. but in this particular case, the the fact that that uh, Andrew Cohen's mission organizationally may have failed but as a teacher he left behind a good message 
Potentially, yes. It's it's uh, it's swamped. It's swamped. So it doesn't really exist at the moment. Tim, so obviously, is, the books exist. This is a fascinating. Exist, uh, this is a fascinating conversation, and we have to wrap things up, Tim. But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Of course, the book uh, by Tim Mansfield is uh, invoking the authentic self, but. Um, are there some some resources if people wanted to learn more about this that you could uh, recommend? And do you have a website? Uh, the book has a website: um, www.invokingtheas.com. Uh, that, that's really just about the book. Um, there's there's going to be a website for the community, kind of a gallery of the positive qualities of the community that's um, being built at the moment, but not necessarily for the public. I think possibly Andrew Cohen's own website would be the first place to... All, all of Andrew's magazines, for one thing, are uploaded on, onto his website. So that, I think, is andrewcohen.com is his website. That would probably be the best um, reference for people who wanted to find out more about his teachings or... You could look up online for his books. So there are seven or eight of his books. Well, Tim, thanks for um, sharing your experiences and, and your thoughts uh, with me and the, the listeners this morning, but also with the world through your book. Thank you. And uh, Thank you ever so much. It's been <laughs> lovely to talk to you. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Again, uh, that was uh, Tim Mansfield, former member of uh, the U.S. Spiritual Community Enlighten Next, where he was uh, a member for 19 years. He's written a book called Invoking the Authentic Self, and we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <music> And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health 
including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Today. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. 
Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. One, two, three, four, five. Again now roll the boat ashore. Hallelujah. Michael row the boat ashore. Keep it rolling. Hallelujah. Everybody hum. Wait a second, Dickie. Dick. We we hum it. I want to go back to the start and take it one more time from the top. Oh, Michael row the boat ashore. I'd just like everybody to join in this time. Okay, one more time. Okay. Right. Gang. In a world torn asunder by strife and by unhappiness, what sound in the world enters into our heart and brings love and brotherhood, but the sound of people's voices joining together and singing. So let's roof the rafters, people. Let's fill this room with the most joyous sound known to man. People. People singing. For in the ether of the air, in the great sky of, of, the, of the faraway land, Fill the sky, the musical sky, with voices intertwining themselves in a giant choral arrangement like colors in your mind and lines going up and down as the voices of people join together. So friends, let's fill this room with love. Let's fill this room with music and song. For people driving by, maybe outside, they'll be in their car and we'll be in here singing, they'll be driving by and, and as they drive by they'll probably say, what the hell's going on? Let's sing out now, friends. Michael, row the boat ashore. Sing out. Hallelujah. Michael, row the boat ashore. Hallelujah. Everybody. That guy wasn't singing there. <laughs> Which guy? The, girl, the guy with the, the girl with the blonde hair. I mean, the you weren't singing that... very well there. Would you join in with us and fill it? You will? You will? You'll sing with us now, huh? Go ahead. <laughs> Here we go, gang. Michael Rowe, the boat ashore. That boat ashore. Come on, Mike. Everybody sing now. Michael, help to trim the sails. Hallelujah. Michael, help to trim the sails. 
trim those sails. Trim those sails. Pull on those oars, baby. <laughs> hey, I know what let's do again. Now, what do you want to do? Every time we, we, we're humming, you want to do something different? Well, I have an idea that I like. Why don't we, gang, why don't... People with love in your hearts. Oh, let's already... all show our love. Let's all open. Let's start the hum. Go back to the, take it from the top of the hum. Top of the hum. But this time, let's all hum with our mouths open. Well, <laughs> well why do you want to do that? We'll get more volume. If well, why we... do you... We have plenty of volume. Why do you want more volume? So that Michael can hear us. Maybe even Ralph will hear us. <laughs> hear us also. So gang, let's all hum with our mouths open this time and get Tommy, a little more volume. That's a nice idea. Really, that's a great idea. But you so, cannot hum with your mouth open. Yes, you do. All you have Don't to... ask anybody to hum with their mouth open. Yes, all you have you to do... You can't do that. You so old. Listen, if you tried to hum with your mouth open, you could hurt yourself. That's too bad. Yeah. So he is. I'll tell you what, if you want more volume, why don't you ask everybody to awe? I mean, not just a regular awe, but like this. Awe. See? It's louder, it's easy to do, and if you ask everybody in this entire room to awe together in unison to Michael, you will experience a thrilling, exciting, vibrant, it'll be a, a vibrant experience. Tremendous. Let's all open up our hummers now and all awe together, okay? Everybody except you. You hum with your mouth open. <laughs> Hear that, Michael? <laughs> we'll help you trim those sails and roll that boat, won't we, gang? Everybody! This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. From New
so fine, Jack, I couldn't let it go. Get along, sweet little mama, get along. Baby, on your way, get along. Sweet little mama, get along. Baby, on your way, with the heat. And oh, and I still gonna let her go. We had the train get rolling. All night long, 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 train get Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. I want to thank all my guests. They were fascinating, as always, beginning with uh, Tim Mansfield this uh, this final hour, the third half of our three-hour tour, author of Invoking the Authentic Self. And uh, before that, we uh, talked with uh, Jeremy Lent. Always fascinating to talk with him about his book, The Web of Meaning, Integrating Science and Traditional Wisdom to Find Our Place in the Universe, and kicking it off this morning with um, Dennis Kucinich, who uh, was the former mayor of uh, Cleveland and, and served in uh, Congress from Ohio, um, talking about his new book. Oh, he was twice a uh, candidate for the Democratic nomination for president, but he had a new book called The Division of Light and Power, and uh, it's a fascinating story, and he has some interesting observations. What a great, uh, what a great lineup today, and we got a good one tomorrow to kick off the weekend. So uh, be sure and uh, join us for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program tomorrow at nine. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show, and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.